2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As we ended the last year, and that's been now a, a few weeks, of course, in 2022, toward the end of the year, the Lord began to deal with me about 2023, that it would be a year of breakthroughs and blessings. And uh, we taught about breakthroughs on January 1st, Sunday. The next week, we talked about the blessing and blessings. And then we began predominantly into the book of Hebrews 11 to talk about how that if we're going to have breakthroughs and blessings in our lives, we need a breakthrough in our faith. And so we began to talk about what faith is, how it works, and uh, moving very slowly, of course, but we got down to verse 4 and we found that the first name on the list of faith's hall of fame in Hebrews 11 is Abel. And Abel without a doubt, was a faithful person, a good man, an honest man. But the thing that he's noted for in the passage is his giving. And so we've been working off that to look a little bit at two spiritual principles, two spiritual activities in the kingdom of God that require faith and obedience, but two ways that God wants to bring increase into your life. Now, if you don't want increase, then maybe you're not so interested in this. But I think most people could use increase. And if they don't need it, they probably know somebody that does. They probably know some way that they would like to be a blessing. And so we're talking about this. And today will be actually the fourth session on this topic. And uh, to put that in perspective, of course, there are 52 Sundays in a year. So if we, if we finish today, that'll only be four out of 52. And also, uh, it's going to be a little under four hours in four weeks. And so what that means is that it's equivalent to about a half day's work of an eight-hour shift in the whole year that you would hear your pastor bring to you information from God's word about God's financial plan. So I say that because, you know, a lot of times when you talk about money, <coughs> excuse me, people think, well, you know, that's just, you just shouldn't say much about it. Or if you spend more than one Sunday in a row, people start getting maybe a little nervous and wondering about all that. But then we'll turn right around the next day and go spend more time traveling, working, and traveling home from work far more time than we've spent on this subject. So I want to say that because we need to have a right perspective. We need to keep our perspective right. And we're not doing a fundraiser with this, trying to, you know, wring money out of anybody or anything of that nature. Uh, we're blessed people and a blessed church. <clears throat> but we got to this place because of the grace and mercy of God, of course. But these principles that I'm teaching are the principles that help get us here. And they will work for you personally and in your family, just like they'll work in the church. And so I would be remiss as a pastor if I didn't share this with you. So, you know, we talked about uh, giving over and above the tithe, beginning last week, and we looked in 
Philippians chapter 4, read verses 10 through 19. We're not going to turn back there again today, but we learned that Philippians 4.19 is a promise to givers. When God said, I, when Paul said, rather, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, that promise wasn't made as a blanket promise to everybody in the whole world. It was made to people who gave for the gospel's sake. And in that particular case, the Philippians had received from Paul's ministry and he had blessed them with spiritual things and so they were reciprocating by ministering back to natural things and in the process they helped him to keep on keeping on taking the great commission to the world. And we found <clears throat> that giving and sowing and because that's the terminology the Bible uses about giving over and above the tithe, it uses that kind of terminology concerning our giving, that it is sowing, like sowing seed. And so that's a qualification for the blessing of God. If we're going to have breakthroughs in blessings in 2023, then I think it's very appropriate to think along the lines maybe that we might need a breakthrough even in our sowing. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Uh, giving and sowing is a qualification for the blessing, but the blessing isn't wages. I use the term qualification, but I'm not using the term wages because you're not going to earn God's blessing. That's not it. The blessing isn't wages. The blessing is an empowerment from God. In Deuteronomy 8.18, all the way back under an inferior covenant to ours today, God said to his covenant people of that day, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get or produce or make wealth, that he may establish his covenant in the earth today, even as it is this day. Moses was sharing with them an eternal principle, a principle of God for his covenant people, that no matter what day that they would think about it, no matter what generation it would be, long after Moses had died, on into future generations, that they could see that there is a way that God establishes his covenant in our day. Everybody say, my day. My say, right now. right now. And one of the ways he does that is by giving you the ability, the adaptability, the power to get, to produce, or to make wealth. Now, that may vary from person to person as to what that will look like or the processes that are used. It may vary from nation to nation and uh, season in history to season as far as the relative uh, amount of wealth or whatever that it may be. But the fact is, God said in his word that it would take you producing wealth to fulfill his covenant in the earth in your day. Now, I believe that's twofold. I think you could think about this, pray about it. I think you would agree with me that it means that it's going to take some stuff, some wealth, some money in order for God to do for you what the covenant says he wants to do. And then number two, it's going to take you having some wealth, some money, some stuff in order for you to be uh, an agent of the covenant and be used by God to be a blessing. Now, if all we wanted to do was get our own needs met, if all we were concerned about is my bills and 
me and my four and no more. Lord, just bless us. And, and we have no concern about the Great Commission, no concern about the body of Christ, no concern about vision, no concern about purpose for what God wants to do. Well, then we might not need much. But if you get involved with God's business, what you're going to find is not only will he get involved with yours, but part of that involvement is going to be to bless you to be a blessing. And I don't know about you, but I have never been able to give as much as I want to give. And I'm, so I'm still working on it. And I know that, that God will uh, help you. If you truly want to be a sower, he will put seed into your hand. But we don't earn the growth process. We just simply use what God has established. And Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord, the empowerment of the Lord, makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. So we understand that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, but we access the blessing, which is a manifestation of His grace, like we access all other grace blessings. It is through faith and acting on the Word. Again, we're not earning it. I mean, if, if you earned it, it wouldn't be grace. But yet you must qualify. You must be positioned to take advantage of it. And so that's what 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 really give us a good picture of how, what that's about. Because in this passage, Paul is talking pretty much exclusively about money. And if you've not read it, if you've not read it in context, you might not have realized that. But if you do read and study it, you will find that he's dealing with the people of God giving. And of course, we're, when it giving when it's seed that means it's over and above the tithe and so we're going to begin by looking in uh, chapter 8 and verse 1 and I don't know how far we'll get today I had hoped in my own mind that we'd get done with all of this today uh, but if we don't that's fine too amen I, I want to make sure that when we're through with this portion of the teaching that I want to be able to to say before God I did my best and that I delivered everything that I was supposed to deliver. And so I hope that you'll receive it that way. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or to know of the grace of God. Notice the word grace. And you're going to see that word over and over in this passage. To know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, that's trouble, persecution. It's, it's not necessarily sickness and disease. As a matter of fact, when you study this, you, you see that's really not what he's talking about here. Uh, there, there is an aspect of affliction that can include sickness, but that's really not the thought here. It's talking about trouble, uh, trials, that kind of thing that comes, including persecution. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. See the paradox? You're in trouble, but you've got abundant joy. That's not normally the way the world operates, is it? And it goes on to give us another paradox. And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. And uh, he's not talking about a political persuasion. Liberality here means generosity. And so you might do good just to kind of substitute that word in our thinking in modern times was probably more <clears throat> appropriate to help us see this better. So he's saying in essence in this, this verse 2 that these people 
were having a lot of trouble, but they had a lot of joy. And they had deep poverty, but they abounded in the riches of their generosity. So you can see that the world was trying to put them in a box, and they refused to get in the box. The world was trying to define them by their circumstances. They refused to be identified by the circumstances, but rather they chose to be identified through the grace of God to do what seemed to be impossible, impractical, and even to some people would have probably seemed nonsensical. And I'll just throw this out here to you. If you ever want to walk by faith, not by sight, to any great degree, if you really want to grow spiritually and you want your life to reflect the supernatural hand of God upon it, you're going to have to be ready to go against the flow of the world. You're going to have to be ready to do some things that not everybody's going to understand. And you're going to have to be ready to say yes to God when he says to you to do something and it really doesn't seem to make sense and you don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I have and I can tell you when you're doing it, it can be, uh, you can be tempted to be scared. You can be tempted to be apprehensive. But I have never, ever obeyed God and been sorry. Never, never, never in all these years. I've never said yes to God, I'll do what you said. And then later on, man, I wish I had not done that. What a mistake that was. No, no, no. You're going to always be blessed when you obey God. And he goes on to say about them here, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. They were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Notice, to their power and beyond their power. That's what grace will do for you. It will take you beyond what you think you can do. It'll take you beyond what the banker says you ought to be able to do. It'll take you beyond what natural thinking says and take you into the realm of the supernatural. And then he says in verse 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Notice the word grace again. He's saying that uh, his young protege, Titus, uh, he, was, he needed to finish or complete the teaching, the ministering, the coaching, and the instructions, all that was necessary so that, that he could finish the same grace also. Now to notice verse 7. The word grace will appear again to us. Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith. So he's saying to the Corinthians, you abound in faith and utterance. So there's supernatural utterance that they are anointed for, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us. Now that's a pretty good list, isn't it? Faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, and love. But that's not enough. 
in this situation, it's all good. It's, it's good, but not sufficient. Why? He says, see that ye abound in this grace also. So here we have the third use of the word grace in this passage in, in seven verses. So this is really a grace passage, isn't it? And I want you to notice that grace here does not mean that these people don't do anything. Grace here doesn't mean they have a right to be passive. Grace doesn't mean everything is left up to God. And if God wants it done, it'll get done. Grace here doesn't mean I have no responsibility. Grace here doesn't mean I don't need to get involved with the plan of God. No, grace here means that there is a supernatural anointing, a supernatural empowerment, a supernatural ability that God gives to givers. Just like there's a grace for prophesying, there's a grace for walking in love. If you're diligent, the grace of God comes upon you. If you walk by faith, you touch the blessings of grace, the good and perfect gifts that come from above. So it is that you and I need to abound in this grace also. And notice the wording in the King James, see that ye abound in this grace also. We'd say today, see to it. So what does that mean? That means it's not automatic. That means it's not just going to happen. That means I need to see to it. I need to be diligent about this area of giving, just like I'm diligent about the area of keeping myself faithful to my wife, just like I'm diligent about the area of praying, just like I'm diligent about the area of being honest and, and, and being a man of my word. All of those other areas that we commonly agree that we need to be diligent Christians in, Paul says, this is another one on the list, and you need to be diligent here. Now, he says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the what? The grace. There's that word again. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And we know that happened uh, at the cross because he was fully supplied up until he laid all that down. I mean, just think about it. He, he didn't go hungry. He carried an entourage of 12 men with him, some of whom were married, would have had families. You, you don't do that and travel and do all of that if you're broke. Somebody said, yeah, but Jesus said foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God hath nowhere to lay his head. Look at the context. Where was he? He wasn't in his hometown. You know, if I go to Richmond this evening, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head unless I'm going to shell out some money. You know, we, we need to keep our thinking straight. I don't know why, but the church world in so many cases has somehow tried to glorify poverty. And somehow justify not being able to do much of anything to further the kingdom. And that is exactly the opposite of what the examples of the ministry did. Paul changed the world 
And he didn't do it because he stayed home saying, poor old me. He didn't do it because he stayed home waiting on the check, smoking the weed. He didn't get this done because he said, well, you know, the Lord understands. And I, you know, no, no, he, he got after it. And God always supplied. Amen. Now, did he have trials? Yeah, he had tough times sometimes, yes. But he knew how to believe God. Amen. So, he says here, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And if you got Amplified Bible, it'll say abundantly supplied or something to that same nature. And that's what he's talking about. There's no promise here that everybody's going to drive a Rolls Royce. No promise here that everybody's going to have X number of dollars in their retirement account by age 55 or whatever. That, that's, that's not there. But the abundance of God is there. And I can tell you, I mean, this might blow somebody away, but I'm going to say it anyway. Probably what you think would be a wonderful nest egg is probably still too little for God. I think for most people, they're thinking way too little. I don't think too many people are guilty of thinking too big. Because we're told in Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So I'd say most of us are probably thinking too little. And whatever dollar amount you've got in your mind that would be kind of like a goal, that would be a wonderful place to be, probably that's still too small as far as God's concerned. You say, well, you know, I don't want to be greedy. Absolutely you don't want to be greedy. But in a world that has been blessed with abundant supply by a God who planned for you to be here, I can tell you, you're not making God nervous when you place a demand of your faith on the resources of the earth. The resources of the planet were put here for you to begin with. They were put here for his kids, not for the devil. Isn't it amazing how people think it's all right for the world to build these magnificent buildings and put together these magnificent uh, uh, locations for recreation and all the rest. They just take that, you know, as granted governments, you know, building their great shrines, banks in huge buildings, it's almost looks like a, a temple almost, some of them. And that's, people seem to think nothing about that. But if you have a church that's really nice, you got critics. If the people inside that church drive nice cars and live in nice homes and wear nice clothes and eat good food. People criticize. As if you're having a good meal today rather than a happy meal. And if you like a happy meal, we, we won't go there. We'll just talk about <laughs> something else. But as if you doing that is somehow going to hurt other people in the world. That's not how this works. The promises of God are such that if all seven plus eight maybe billion people on the planet today, if all of them had plenty, the earth would still have more left over. That's the kind of God we serve. Now you may listen to the political hacks and they may try to control you and that's what they're trying to do with all their shortages and their uh, perceived and... and uh, imaginary crises and all the things that they try to do. But I'm telling you, God is still God. And like I said last week, he's still got the recipe for manna. You remember that was food that came out of heaven. So if necessary, 
we can go there. I'm sure it tasted like cornbread, aren't you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. So Paul goes on to say uh, to us, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. So this, this giving project's been going on for a while. And he says in verse 11, Now therefore perform the doing of it. What about all this grace? As I said, grace does not exempt us from obedience. It doesn't exempt us from activity within the plan of God. We can't bless ourselves. We're not God. But we can use the processes God has placed in the earth to come to a greater place of blessing and a greater place of being a blessing. And so we have in verse uh, 7, see that you abound. And we have in verse 11, now therefore perform the doing of it. So there's a balance between grace and action. Amen? Verse 12, for if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted. Now this is very good because, you know, a lot of times people think if I don't have a lot of money, then I really can't do anything of significance. First of all, that's not the way God sees it. And number two, sometimes people have the idea that if I don't have a lot, then I'm kind of exempt from all this. That passages like this apply to people who knock down, you know, 200 grand a year or more. These are rich people verses. But, you know, I'm on a fixed income. I only make, you know, whatever a year. But that's not what he says here at all. Uh, you know, if you don't have much, then, of course, first of all, that's subject to change. And secondly, you're still not exempted from being generous because... If you were, then we would not have read what we read in the first part of this chapter. Remember, your deep poverty abounded under the riches of your generosity. How can that be? Because it's not a dollar amount. It's a percentage of what you have. You see, there might be somebody here today that could give $100 easier than you can give five. And if they gave the 100 and you gave the five, and it was easier for them to give the hundred than you to give the five, then that means, in a sense, in God's eyes, you were more generous. Yes. Amen. So it's not about dollar amounts. And he goes on to say in this verse, it is accepted according to what a man hath, and not according to what he hath not. Now this is really important to understand. Uh, God isn't uh, going to judge you based on what you don't have. It's based on what you do have. And this is also important because a lot of people have this mindset. Well, when my ship comes in, when this happens, when I get this age and then I get to touch this money or whatever, then I'm going to, you know, get involved. I'm going to do something. Now God's saying, no, no, no. What are you going to do now? And what do you have now? Amen? Now... I want you, uh, and then he gives some instructions and talks to them about giving and how that in one season one person may give and another receive, but there may be another season when that person that received would be giving back. And so obviously there's an ebb and flow in the economy of the world and in seasons and all the rest. And so basically uh, everybody should always have enough if everybody obeys God. 
But now let's skip down for the sake of time, and you can read the verses in between, of course, and look at verse uh, number uh, 18. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us. So in other words, he's saying we've got all this money to bring, and we've got it safeguarded. We've got witnesses. No one person is you know, just doing everything, and uh, it's all being provided for up front and all that. And he says, to travel with us with this, what's that word? Grace. So he's calling their giving grace. Their giving. What they chose. What they decided in their own heart they wanted to do. He's calling that grace. You see, because for the recipient, it's coming to them unearned, perhaps undeserved. But it's coming to them anyway. It's grace. And so when I give and when you give, we are blessed of God. And what a privilege it is to actually be a carrier of God's grace and deposit it in somebody else's life. And you're talking about a way to the heart of God and a way for God to get involved with what you're doing is when you are a carrier of this kind of grace and you help make things happen for other people And then God begins to get to work in your own life. Amen. Now, we want to go over to verse, I mean, to chapter 9 and look at a few verses here. You know, there's so much here. I'm man alive. I I just don't know. (laughs) I don't don't want to stay here forever, but there is so much good information. So let's uh, let's look a little bit further before we go today. Chapter 9, verse number 5 says, Therefore, I thought it necessary... To exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a manner of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Notice, There's no confusion when it's harvest time. Harvests are always proportional. Now, harvests from God are multiplied blessings from our original seed, multiplied to us back. But they are proportional, meaning that if we sow with a teaspoon, we'll reap teaspoons, plural. But if you sow with a dump truck, You'll reap dump trucks, plural. You are determining, first of all, whether you even have a harvest. And secondly, you're determining how much of a harvest you're having. And so it's very, very important. You might say, well, but you know what about the poor person? Maybe all they have is a teaspoon. Well, God's going to get involved. And if he keeps returning it back to them over the process of time, as they keep sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping, they're going to move to greater and greater dimensions. I know for Glenna and me, our life in almost 47 years of marriage, and we've been tithing all those years, that uh, what we give today would have shocked us all those years. We We didn't even think about being able to give what we can give today. We didn't even think about that. We, we didn't have in our imagination some of the things that the Lord has done for us. And uh, it, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And you know, it didn't happen just because we're preachers. Uh, 
Because there's all kinds of broke preachers. I mean, if just, just being a preacher will automatically make you uh, wealthy and blessed, then we should ordain all of you. There's more to this than that. So he says in verse 5, uh, let's see, or I already covered verse 5. Verse 6, but I say, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And I'll say a couple of things here about this verse. Number one, you need to know in your heart what it is you're supposed to do, and then you don't need to be beaten over the head and... and, and uh, given a sob story to give more than what you know you should give. I don't give to begging preachers. You can put all the pictures you want on the screen of all the pitiful stuff you want to put. That's not going to get me to give. You say, well, you're just hard-hearted. No, I've learned truth. Our giving shouldn't be from emotions. But the world and even many in the church have learned that you can play on people's heartstrings and get a response. Why do you think they show them pictures of them dogs? I mean, you know, pitiful little animals. They're trying to get you to feel sorry for them. And it's a good thing that they don't put cats on there. I, I would never give anything to a cat. But. <laughs> I'm just, well, I'm not kidding, but, but, uh, but forgive me. <laughs> some people are cat people, some people aren't. But anyway, but my point is the, the, uh, the whole play on your heartstrings, make you feel sorry for somebody, that's not what the Apostle Paul was doing. He said, you don't give grudgingly. You don't give out of necessity. For God loves, what? A cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now we know God loves everybody. So for God to say, after he's already established in his word that he loves everybody, that he loves a cheerful giver, that must mean there's something really special about cheerful givers. That gets the attention of God. Amen. And the Amplified says that he is unwilling to do without. Or unwilling to abandon or do without. A, a joyful giver whose heart is in his giving. And so that's why in offering times we sing upbeat songs. That's why we rejoice. Because rejoicing is a harvesting factor. Amen. And it's to these people who give this way, to you and to me as we give this way, that he says in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You want to abound? You want to have all sufficiency? Get involved with God's business. 
He goes on to say, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown. In other words, God puts seed into your hand. You don't have to give it all. You can eat some of it, grind it up, make your bread. Yes, you don't have to give everything. God's not asking you for every dollar that ever comes into your hand. But if you are a sower... If you're a sower, God will put seed into your hand. That means even if you have nothing today and you say, God, I want to sow. If you will ask him, I guarantee you based on the word of God, he will give you a seed to sow. He will put something into your hand. And if you are intelligent and if you are honest before God, you won't eat it all. You'll sow it. And if you will sow the seeds he puts into your hands, God will eventually get you to the place where you've got plenty of bread and plenty of seed. He that ministers seed to the sower both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. You could be enriched in everything. So notice that, that Paul is talking about being so poor that you are in deep poverty. And he's giving us in these two chapters the recipe how to get out of that over into a place where we are enriched in everything. To such a place that it causes thanksgiving to God through us. In other words, God uses you as a walking billboard to his goodness. And somebody asks you, how did you do that? Or where'd that come from? Your answer is the blessing of the Lord. It makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. I want to close today. Man, there's so much stuff here that I would like to share with you. But I want to close today with a testimony. And I, I think maybe we've, we might have to go a little further next time. I don't know. I'll seek the Lord and... But hopefully you won't stay home. You'll come in here. Good stuff that we have. But anyway, but I'll share this testimony. About 20 years ago, just a little over 20 years ago, actually, uh, this, uh, this last fall would have been 20 years ago that Glenn and I were praying and seeking the Lord. And we knew that God wanted to increase us. We knew that he wanted to bless us. And we just... We knew that our first call and our first love and our first responsibility before God, that which we would stand in judgment for above and beyond all else, uh, was the ministry. But we knew that God could bless us through multiple streams. As you read in the, in the book of Genesis, one of the things that's interesting about that early account of creation is that the Bible records three different streams flowing up from Eden, three different rivers. And uh, so the idea of multiple streams of income is a godly thing. So we were seeking the Lord. Lord, how could you increase us that way? You know, we knew that we didn't want to uh, overburden the church. We, you know, we didn't want to be greedy and all of that mess. We, we wanted to stay, keep our heart right. We wanted the church to grow and be blessed. But for us personally, Lord, how do we move to another place? Well, one of the ways that the Lord opened up to us was uh, 
was real estate to buy and sell houses, buy a house, live in it a couple of years, which causes the sale of the house to be totally tax-free. I think now it's up to half a million dollars of profit. And of course, if you know anything about taxes, if you can, if you can make some money tax-free, that's like making a whole lot more if, you had, if it was taxable money. And so we began, number one, we, we, you know, we were seeking the Lord. And actually, before all of this fell into place, the Lord led us. Now, here's the, here's the real gist of this story. Because you may not want to do what we did. You know, a lot of people wouldn't want to do what we did. But we've had a blast. And we've been blessed. <laughs> but um, the Lord led us in the fall to sow a seed into Pastor Charles Cowan. I only told Pastor Charles this last November. So I waited 20 years to give him the testimony. He knew he was good ground before I ever told him that, I'm sure. But the Lord led us to send an offering. Now it wasn't for him a significant amount of money, but for us it was. And he had been a blessing to us way back many, many years ago. And... Um, of course, Brother Charles is a great man of God, fine man, a wonderful example of a pastor, president of the charter class at Rhema Bible Training Center, just a wonderful man. And um, so the Lord led us to sow a seed. So we, we wrote a check, we put it in the mail, uh, and sent it. And it was just a matter of weeks till information came to us, people we were connected to made it possible to start a journey that would take us from place to place and, ever, and, and just basically, you know, not, not in a linear way. Of course, you know, there are ups and downs and markets and things. But to be able to come to a place of, of some great blessing in our life that all started with a seed. You see, if you ask me where did it start? Well, it didn't start in the books that we read. It didn't start just in the things we listen to to try to learn. It didn't really start just in the people that we connected to. And all of that was important and it was good. But it really all started with that seed. With that seed. And so when I teach about this, as I said, I'm not fundraising. I'm telling you what I know works. It didn't work because I was a preacher. It worked because it's the Word of God. Yes. And I don't know what the Lord would lead you to do. I don't know what field or what kind of endeavors that He would lead you to do. But I can tell you that you do not have to be satisfied. And I don't mean ungrateful. And I don't mean covetous. But I'm just saying you don't have to stop where you are. If you will be faithful to God with your giving and your sowing. And God knows He can trust you then there's some places he'll take you that you would never get to otherwise. Man, I wish, I wish when I was 15, 16 years old, I would have been in a church where I could hear these things because I would be so much further down the road than I am today. But God is good. God makes up for lost time if we will, will allow him to redeem the time. So that's my, my one, that's today's testimony. Uh, that I want to share with you. You don't have to do what we did. You don't have to do any of this. And we're not coming to your house to twist your arm. And I'm not, 
I'm not digging up all kinds of information this week to find out if you're doing it or not. That's not what this is about at all. I'm just telling you the truth. And you can act on it as you see fit and as the Lord leads you. And I can tell you that you'll never outgive God. And you'll never, ever be sorry that you obeyed Him. I can guarantee you those two things. You'll never outgive God and you'll never be sorry that you obeyed Him. Remember last week I talked about money laundering? I talked about clean money. I'm not talking about some illegal activity. But I'm talking about once you have tithed on the money, once you have given as you're directed of God, led by the Spirit, or you desire in your heart to give, once you have saved and or invested some of that money, and once you have paid your, your bills and obligations that you've made, whatever's left over is clean money, no guilt, go have a blast. Enjoy life. God, God didn't call you to live all your life with your nose to the grindstone on barely get along street down at the end of the block next to Grumble Alley going through life with the top of your hat wore out and your soles of your shoes worn out worn out clothes and you know living out of the second hand store always driving a jalopy car always you know, living with something that's worn out and should have been thrown out long ago, trying to make ends meet. God wants you blessed. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I've really opened up a big can of worms. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the anointing. Lord, you see our hearts. You see our desires. And you know where we are spiritually, as well as financially, materially. And Lord, most of all, you know where you want to take us. And so we thank you for the vision, for the purpose, and the blessings you've bestowed upon us. We ask your blessing on every person here today. Every person here today, in the name of Jesus. We speak blessing. May the anointing of increase that is upon this ministry come upon them as they are connected to this ministry and as they are faithful and obedient with their tithes and their offerings. I believe that the blessing of God rests upon them in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, if there's anybody here that you don't know Jesus, you say, well, you didn't preach a message about the cross. Well, I preached about Jesus becoming poor that we might be made rich. You do understand that he became poor in every single way. That you could be rich in every single way. You do understand that he was rejected by the, by the Father. And he took our shame and our guilt so that we could have eternal life. And though I'm preaching on this particular subject that to some may sound like it's not so spiritual, the fact is... It's not the most important message in all the Bible, but it is important enough to share. But the most important thing is that you are wealthy spiritually, that you know the Lord, that your sins are under the blood, that you're ready should He call or come today, that you're ready to meet Him. And if you're not, then right now I want you to pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, just say that. Father, in Jesus' name I ask you, to forgive my sins and cleanse
cleanse me by the blood of Jesus of all my sins. And just as Jesus <coughs> was resurrected to life without end, <coughs> I believe that I too will receive eternal life. And I take Jesus as my Lord and my Savior right now. And I ask you, Lord, to walk with me, to help me for the rest of my days. As I promise, I will serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, is it that easy? Absolutely. It's a free gift. It's a grace transaction. You just have to provide the faith to believe. Confess Jesus as your Lord. He will come in. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I think I'm done.